O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel is with you, is with us this day. Amen. I say this with all due respect to the angels. But if the first thing you have to say every time, every time you meet somebody is, do not be afraid, there's probably something terrifying about you, or at least about what you have to say. But the angels keep on saying that. Fear not. Do not be afraid. Take heart. And that's certainly what Joseph's angel says today. And so I want to talk with you this morning about that moment when you receive major news and you know as soon as you hear it that it changes everything. But you don't know whether it's good or bad or something in the middle. It just takes your breath away and you're scared. Mary and Joseph are terrified in today's story. They're unsure what comes next, anxious, confused. And if you consider moments like that for you and for me, I wonder if it's a cancer diagnosis. And so you're in the middle of surgery and chemo and radiation that grind on, hoping for a cure but not yet knowing. Or the grief of a looming divorce before new love has bloomed. Or the anxiety of leading a church through COVID, wondering whether, when, and how we'll recover. Or a broken bone or an ACL tear. Or some kind of life-changing moment. Chances are you have experienced that, or maybe you are even experiencing that, and someone around you is experiencing that. Catherine Meeks reminded us this week, in her beautiful text, which quotes Isaiah, the night is long but joy comes in the morning. The night is long, but joy comes in the morning. And then she says, but Isaiah doesn't tell us which morning. And still, joy comes in the morning. So he lives in that hope that joy will come, that mountains will come after valleys. And in all of these moments, there's some kind of low before the high. And we should note that the low doesn't always lead to a high. Sometimes it just leads to more and deeper lows. But often there is some kind of triumph, some kind of mountain after the valley, simply from the act of picking ourselves up and keeping on going and, and moving through that place of uncertainty. We don't know what it will be or how we'll get there, but we consider the moment when we receive the news before we know whether the news is good. And I imagine that Mary and Joseph know something of this experience. Based on the Gospel Teller's account, they respond really differently. Mary gives us the glorious Magnificat, which we'll hear our choir sing later in the day, expressing a theological response to this news. And then Matthew gives us the man version from Joseph. And I can relate. He's the problem solver, the detail manager, the guy who wants to get it right. He knows that he's, scaring, he's staring down scandal in a society that deals with honor and shame. And so he makes this plan to dismiss Mary quietly, which keeps him and his family on the right side of the law and may well save her life. Because according to Deuteronomy 22, she could be tried and executed for adultery. 
But I'll be honest, I like Mary's response a lot better. And in fairness to Joseph, he's doing his best. He's doing his level best with the hand he's been dealt to be faithful. And so in the face of news that changes everything, do you know what that story feels like? What that story might have to teach you and me about the days and the moments and the minutes just after you receive that life-changing news? Here are some insights I think this story might be offering us. First, rest. Let's rest, because it's always a mistake to make big decisions in a crisis. Give it a minute. Sleep. Take a breath. Take a walk. Pray in a way that actually means something for you, whether that's labyrinth or music or reading from the prayer book or praying on a hike or asking your friends to pray for you in specific ways. I have a feeling that Joseph has sort of talked this through with his close council of advisors. He had him on speed dial, which I think was via donkey in those days. But I think he, I'm sure he talked to a lot of people. And the reason I say that is that he had made up his mind. Here's the plan, here's what I'm going to do. He sort of thought through the legalities of it. But he also took time to rest. And the reason you say that is because he had a dream. And you can't have a dream standing up. And that might be, I think, the second insight. So in addition to being thoughtful and analytical and rational, let's listen to our dreams and our emotions and the less analytical ways of knowing. Let's pay attention to those deep longings of the heart to dare to ask for God's joy and possibility to emerge from a moment of deep uncertainty. Our dreams can be wacky, but they can also be a window into our wise mind, into our subconscious. See, for example, the field of psychology, especially Carl Jung. Jung believed that our dreams were important for our ways of knowing and understanding. And I believe God can guide us and speak to us through these less analytical, more emotional ways of knowing. So for Joseph, the angel shows up in a dream and changes his plan. He hears, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So there's a lot to unpack here. We have Joseph being shown very clearly to be in the line of the son of David, which is very important for Matthew. You hear Matthew often saying, all this happened to fulfill the scriptures. That's kind of his, his thesis of the gospel. Then we have a child coming from the Holy Spirit, which is a part of the origin story, showing that Jesus is set apart by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then this prophecy, this job description for Jesus, that he will save people from their sins, that the kind of salvation he brings will end forever the separation between us and God that sin causes. And this grace changes the playing field for every relationship ever because God forgives us and invites us to forgive those who trespass against us. And so I think grace might be a third insight from this story. In response to terrifying, table-turning news, we might ask God for grace and compassion for those around us 
who just might be going through their own version of an uncertain valley. As Brene Brown puts it, grace will take us places hustling never will. Grace will take us places hustling never will. And so to illustrate the point, I want to invite you to call to mind and even write down or text yourself the name, I bet you there's a person in your life who drives you crazy. Just every time they say something, it gets under your skin. Do you have someone in mind? I do. (laughs) What would happen for you and for me if you knew with absolute certainty that that person, just like Joseph, was trying their best with the hand they'd been dealt? What kind of grace and compassion might shift for us if we knew that about the person who drives us the most crazy was trying their best with the hand they've been dealt? Or to think about it this way, if this is the full continuum of what that person is going through, and this is the part we know, what are all the things that we don't know that are happening for that person? What might be our window of grace and compassion, empathy and understanding for that person? Grace will take us places hustling never will. Next, the angel goes into prophecy fulfillment mode, very much in line with Matthew's arc of the story. She shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. I think that's the fourth insight, and perhaps the greatest hope for each of us, especially those of us going through some kind of valley. That God is not off in the distance. God is not checking World Cup scores and tuning in half-heartedly. No, God is right here with us in the thick of life. It's a central theme for Matthew's gospel coming up in this first chapter. And the last thing Jesus says in the entire gospel of Matthew, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Or as the NRCV has it, remember. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We have a companion, God with us in the person of Jesus, God for us in the person and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus will later tell us that he comes to show how to live and to love just as I have loved you. You also should love one another. And that means that you and I are called to be companions with each other. And so when someone we know is going through their own kind of valley, their own uncertainty and challenge, their own life-changing news that they're not sure yet whether it's positive, we can't explain away that challenge, we can't remove that pain, but we can share empathy and connection, bear witness, walk alongside, journey with. And that's the only way through. And so whether we're heading for a mountain or just another valley, you are not alone. You and I are not alone. I want to invite you to turn to the person next to you and say, you are not alone. You and I are not alone. We have a loving God who promises to be with us no matter what. We have a promise-keeping God defined by relationship. I will be your God and you will be my people. And that is good news for us today. 
I remember a training moment in the hospital during clinical pastoral education, and I was really proud of my praying skills because I like, you know, didn't have to have the hymnal at one point or the prayer book, and so I was like extemporaneous, and that was a growing edge for me. And so I was in the ICU, and it was a really serious moment, and I prayed that God would be with us. And the chaplain practically interrupted me in the middle of the ICU, practically wanted to throw like a pillow at me or something, and no! God is already with us. There is nothing that could ever separate us from God's love. And so what we pray for is not that God would be present, but that we might know God's presence, that we might trust God's presence, that we might be brave enough and strong enough and courageous enough to trust God to lead and guide us. But God never left the building. Never has, never will. God is here with us, Emmanuel. And God calls us to love each other through each and every one of the valleys we walk through. And that's why you can't homeschool Jesus. You can't participate in Christian community exclusively from the golf course or the yoga studio, as meaningful and as beautiful as those experiences are. We need each other. We need to remember that we're not alone, that we are gathered in the same place so we can journey together, fellow dreamers along the way, And so whether you're headed for a mountain or another valley or just the next hill on your path, you are journeying and you are with companions. You are not alone. And this year, you may be going through your own kind of valley. Or maybe it's your turn to serve as companion for someone else. But chances are, someone you love, someone important to you in your life, needs God's love now. They need your love and care. They need to know and feel and experience that they're not alone. So let's remember together to rest, to hold fast to dreams, to be gracious just as God is gracious to us. And importantly, let's remember that none of us are alone, for God is with us, Emmanuel. O come, O bright and morning star, and bring us comfort from afar. Dispel the shadows of the night, and turn our darkness into light. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Amen.